4: John Copenhagen and Al Warren heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles
1: one hundred two point three FM Riverside
4: and one hundred
3: five oh AM Palm Springs. You know, one one of the things I'm I'm really proud about Hogan's Heroes. I mean, I, I was a fan of the show. I was a teenager, and you know, used to play army with my buddies and you know all that kind of stuff. But then we, we used to watch combat, love combat, um, with Vic Morrow. But one of the things I'm really proud about Hogan's now is that in nineteen sixty five when it started, there were exactly two series on television that featured people of color on a regular basis. Wow. That's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And
3: H- Hogans was Ivan Dixon and can you guys name the other show?
0: Oh, Uh-oh. in, in Uh-oh, trivia. 60, 65.
3: Uh-huh. And don't look don't google. No, I'm, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: I'm just trying to think in my mind in 65 <clears throat> what was on and you had like the Lucy show and you had um what else was? Well, there?
3: this is this is before all of you guys were born, but you, no, you know, it, no, it's... not me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I <can't come> out.
0: <laughs> I was I would have been three, um, so not okay. me. Yeah. So, but
3: uh, um, I'll give you the answer. Okay. I Spy. Oh right. Bill Cosby. Oh,
2: oh my goodness, you're yeah. right. Bill Cosby.
3: Those are the only two regular series with people of color in the cast. That
0: is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's 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 come a long way. Um, I, yeah. I, I'll tell I'll tell you the thing is I noticed is um, with with things like that. Um, see, Hogan's Heroes, we weren't allowed to watch, it, it, and even when it came out in reruns and all that, because my my father um, really disliked that they were making fun of. The war and the Germans and all this—like he had this real thing—and so we would have to sneak watch certain shows, <laughs> mm. you know, because we were in one of those. No. Uh, in we were in Stolek, um thirteen. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really was. It really was. And and even uh, Gary, who was uh, my, my partner, even his dad was. Um, uh, I could. I cannot repeat what he would say. Uh, what he would call shows, because uh, he was uh, really strict Mormon, so he had a lot of viewpoints on things. So uh, you know, some some of us would have to sneak and go somewhere else to see something like that. So
3: right, right, you know. But you know, right after that, uh, after Hogan's was on for a couple of years, Mel Brooks comes along with the producers, where they they sing "Springtime for Hitler." you know, in a a Broadway show. And it's like everything exploded at that point. Um, er, Early on, too, some of the reviewers of Hogan's misunderstood what was going on. They thought it was a concentration camp, which it was not. It was a prisoner of war camp, which is much different than that. Mm. And, And many... Uh, the brains of the show, Edward H. Feldman, who was the producer, and many of the writers and directors and cast were Jewish. So, you know, it, that was never the issue as far as they were concerned.
0: Right, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. now, when, when when he was filming that show, um, he was kind of at his peak, um, I would say um, Hollywood-wise, probably.
3: Yes.
0: And um, now, how close were you to him at that time?
3: Uh, well, h- how do you mean? Well, I you mean, guys besides being fathers.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, did you? Uh, I mean, were were you involved in his day-to-day life in Hollywood and all that? Like, were you kind of? Um, part of all that or did you did he keep you distant from it
3: no no he he allowed uh, I have two sisters two younger sisters he allowed all of us to be as involved as we wanted to be Uh, but because we were all going to school you know public schools uh, I would kind of work around you know like summer vacation I would spend on the set of Hogan's and just hang out there and uh He mentioned his radio show earlier if there, if he had a guest on one of his shows and I could somehow work that out you know like a school holiday or something, I would go with him to the radio show and you know watch him interview the guest and so that that's kind of how I fit in there, but no, it's very wide open uh whatever anybody wanted to do really
0: yeah and and did you did you know about his um how do we say uh his kind of his hidden life or his alternative life
3: um later on in my teenage years he had a dark room at home which i I guess most people don't even know what a dark room is anymore but um he could develop his own film because it was pre-digital and he actually used film for his cameras and he would uh you know, developed the film. And, I mean, many of the photos were legitimate, you know, landscapes. Or if my mom and dad went on vacation somewhere, you know, he'd be taking photos.
1: But then I saw
3: a few photos of uh, some women who I did not recognize.
2: Uh-oh. And
3: that was a, a little light bulb going on for me. Unbeknownst to me, my mom and dad were already, in discussions about his uh, extra curricular activities uh, but again you know my uh, I was 15 16 some, something like that
1: and my sisters are much younger
3: so um, they were you know had no idea of this other life
4: well wow. how did you make how did you make sense of all that world As as a young young man, growing up influential, watching a a father be successful and powerful in his own way, how did you make sense of that within your family?
3: Well, we had such a, what, what I thought was a normal, quote unquote, normal family. We didn't live in Beverly Hills. We didn't, you know, my folks didn't drive Mercedes and, you know, all the glamorous things of that day. We lived out in the... Uh, as the TV Guide called it, the, uh, uh, what they call it, not the, ah, I'll think of the word later. But TV Guide came up with a a great word for Tarzana. That's where we lived out in San Fernando. Unfashionable. The unfashionable (laughs) Tarzana, California. And that's where we lived. I mean, it was just suburbia. And we, we did get to have a swimming pool and, you know, but, we had barbecues and, you know, our friends over, and we thought we were just a normal deal. So it, it started to shake my foundation when I saw these other women. What, what is this? You know, because my parents were the rocks of my life. I mean, they're, they're together. They're, you know, nothing's ever going to change. And uh, so it's, it's, the foundation starts shaking a little bit at that point.
4: And how does that have uh, impact
3: upon your relationship with your father and your relationship with your mother? Well, when my father left, eventually, that was uh, about a year or two later, uh, I was still in high... I was senior in high school. I kind of became the the, the male of the household, which was strange
0: mm. for me
3: because it was always dad, you know. And now he was gone, and I have... My mom, two sisters, and uh, a grandmother, my mom's mom, lived with us as well. So I was surrounded by women the whole time, and that that became, you know, different for me. I was 17, and, um, uh, you know, it was a new new footing for me uh, because everything had always been taken care of, you know, by
2: mom and dad. So, so let let's go back for just a moment. Whenever you discovered these photos or you saw the photos, did you ask about them?
3: No, I didn't say anything to my mom, and I didn't have the uh, cajones to approach my dad and go, "Who are these women?" I just, I I didn't have the nerve. Mm-hmm. So. And it wasn't like, let, let me make it clear, too, I wasn't in, in the dark room, like, snooping around or looking for anything. I was just looking at his uh, some of the legit photos that he had taken. I think of uh, their trip to Hawaii or something. And I was just looking at them and then, you know, going through other photos, and then I found these. But I, I, I didn't have the nerve to approach him. And I certainly wasn't going to mention it to my mom, who, as I found out years later, already knew about this. Mm.
4: At what point did your did your siblings know about it, and what was their reaction?
3: Oh. Uh, much later, uh, because my, my two sisters are eight and nine years younger than I am. So when I was 17, you know, they're, wow, eight and nine, maybe? Yeah. Eight and nine, something like that. And uh, oh, they're, you know, they're in grade school. They have no idea. They're, they're the same as me. They're just looking at mom and dad as, you know, the, the rocks of the family, the family unit, you know, and have no idea until
2: much later. Okay. So, so in, in a sense, you kept all this to yourself in order to protect the image that you had of your family.
3: Yes. And also, um, as I said, I just I I didn't have the nerve to be confrontational with my dad, so I just kind of I sucked it in, you know, for years uh, until I could start talking to him a bit in my early twenties mm-hmm. when I when I got a little bit more nerve, but never a hundred percent like right now you know, as a old man that I am, I, I I you know, when you get older you I don't know, for any for me anyway I've experienced I, I, I don't uh, mind confronting people about stuff now. Sure. And I would I would finally feel comfortable in my, my later years to have this conversation with him, which I never really did.
2: Well, did that dis, did that discovery at all did it did it shade or, or or jade the way that you saw him and change your relationship at all?
3: It uh it did shade it a little bit. It was like uh now I'm starting to find out that there's stuff I don't know about one of my parents. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I I looked at my parents as the rulers of the universe. I mean, they knew everything. They did everything. When, in fact, years later, I find out, no, they didn't. They they were faking it, just like everybody else. You know, trying to put it <laughs> together and keep it working, and you know, survive, and just like the rest of us, they they didn't know anymore. But you know, at that age, I I think they know everything. They didn't. You know, mm-hmm. but I didn't I didn't realize this until years later.
0: So so when you fast forward a little bit, after Hogan's Heroes and um, he had another series that didn't really work out. No. Um, so um, he, he started doing this, um, I guess, uh, a dinner theater is what they called it in uh, yes. uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, now, at that time, he he got an apartment there. And that's kind of a suburb of Phoenix for people that don't know. Um, now, were you living with him in the apartment?
3: Yeah, let, let, me, let me just uh, change one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, or a couple of things, let or, uh comment on. Um, he had started doing plays years earlier. He was doing plays during Hogan's. So, in other words, when, when Hogan's had three months off between seasons, he would hit the road, you know, and go to Chicago or New Jersey or wherever. And do a play, because dinner theater at the time, which is another forgotten thing, dinner theater was a big deal at that time. Uh, all sorts of you know people on the way up, people on the way down, you know veteran performers, new performers, people with series, you know that kind of thing. They squeezed in these engagements uh, during time off or whatever, and uh, so he had been doing this for a number of years. Secondly, uh, Scottsdale was another engagement. Um, he was not doing any series at the time so he had a different schedule but he, he did not get an apartment there they put him in an apartment just for the run of the show so in other words he played he was supposed to play a month in Scottsdale so they put him up at, a, at an apartment instead of a hotel. Mm. Uh, for that month, so that that's the apartment that you're referring to. But then there's another apartment. There's the apartment in LA, which I was sharing with him uh, at the time of his death because he was going through a divorce from his second wife.
0: Now that was uh, Patricia Olson, I believe.
3: Yes. Right. Yes. And she was Clink's secretary.
2: Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah.
3: Second secretary. Second. First secretary was season one, and then she, uh, Patty, came in. I believe season two.
0: So yeah, he 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 kind of liked uh, Clink's secretary's period because he liked both of them. Yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did.
0: <laughs> and by the time of of his of his murder, um, he was in divorce. With Patricia, right? Yes. So, um, now I can't help but notice that you sort of um, aimed your suspicions toward her. Um, do you feel still feel that way now today?
3: Well, there there are always two people in my book. Number one has to be John Carpenter, not not the film director, but the <laughs> Sony. Uh, home video salesperson which is how my dad met him uh, he would have to rank as number one because he had the means and opportunity uh, the, the, mo- the bottom line though for him by killing his so called friend is that he lost his friend which I never understood secondly though the person with any financial gain from his death was Patty, and she's always been number two on my list. She was the only person, they were legally married at the time of his death, going through divorce, for, you know, the negotiations, you know, attorneys, all that stuff, and um, she gained um, the estate. Now when I say estate, no big multi-million dollar estate or anything but for 1978 very comfortable um, you know some some cash a, a couple of properties and you know she she did fine but then she's the one who, who gained anything. It's just weird timing
2: yeah so if you laid it all out loud for us, I mean how would she have done this?
3: Well, for a while, I thought she she claimed to be in Seattle, of all places, with their son, Scotty, who was, um, I think, six at the time, six or seven. Um, and she loved Bainbridge Island. Right. So that's where she claimed to be at the time of his death. I always thought, and I, I pushed the Scottsdale Police Department on it in the DA's office in uh, Arizona, to push and, and really see whether you could, you know, hop on a plane in Seattle and get to Phoenix during that time span. And, uh, because just to back up for a little bit, the murder scene, the, there was no break-in. There was uh, – nothing was taken except for a uh, booklet of Polaroid photos that my dad had taken. Um otherwise it it was obviously someone he knew who was there because he went to he went to bed he went to there it was a two bedroom mm-hmm. and he went to bed and uh the person there he had to have been comfortable with' because uh, again no break in no forced entry nothing like that so that would that would mean carpenter that would mean patty um I don't know maybe someone else um not thinking of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't go to bed uh, with someone at your house unless you knew them quite no. well. No. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> well... Yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs>
4: no. No one else had the key to the apartment?
3: That's the other possibility. It, a very strange thing happened uh, 10 days before his murder. It was Father's Day. Um, and now patty and my dad are going through a really ugly proceeding you know it's it's not pretty knock on his door at the apartment in scottsdale father's day 1978 he opens the door it's patty and scotty the young son and when he called me the next day and said you'll never guess who was here yesterday and i was racking my brain
1: I don't know. I gave up.
3: And he said, Patty. Patty? Yeah. She just appeared at the door with Scotty. And they spent a few hours together. It was very uncomfortable. But it's now it's like she's done a recon mission. She knows where he is. She knows the lay of the land. And then 10 days later, he's dead. Mm. Strange. Very strange.
0: Now, now, he was bludgeoned to death with the... Um... Didn't they think it's one of the tripods or something?
3: Yes. Yes. Now that, um, well, Patty was pretty strong physically. I mean, I, I don't put it past her to do that, but that would have to veer back to Carpenter. Carpenter was a video salesperson. He sold, that was a big thing at the time, his home video. Now people don't know what video is, but (laughs) home video—that was your own little deck in your camera, and it was instantaneous, and you could watch yourself on the monitor, and you know it was very exciting. It was like Polaroids uh, when you could get the instant Polaroid photo, Um, and so Carpenter would obviously know about equipment, and he would think of—if—if it was him—he would think of a murder weapon, and. A tripod, the head of a tripod, you know, is very hard metal, uh, can do some major damage, which it did. Uh, there were two blows to my dad's head, side of his head, while he was asleep. Um, so, again, that kind of steers back into carpenter's uh, arena. And
4: why don't
3: you feel that maybe somebody took out a hit on your dad? Uh, it, I think if it were a hit and... Maybe I've read too many—I um, don't know—Harlan Coven books or something. But if it were a hit, it would have been a gun. In my way of thinking, it would have been clean.
4: It just seems—it's um, just really quite, quite—you um, know—targeted. That you, you, this is terrible tragedy has happened, and then you've immediately gone with these two people rather than any other. I mean. Somebody could have easily got a key from the estate agent. Um, sorry, if that's the wrong term. It's a British term. If you're renting a property, you could have gone to have
1: a look around the property. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
4: I don't. I mean, the the possibilities are fairly endless. So yeah. to come down to two people with very clear motives, I get that. Fully, I absolutely understand it. But there are so many other opportunities out there, and the hitman is just another one of them. Yeah,
3: I I, I agree with you, um, except I guess for the term hitman. Again, it, it, if you said jealous boyfriend of a woman that he was going out with, in scottsdale i would say okay but a hit to me is is clean. it's a gun it's in out fast get out of there clean this is a messy two blows to his head Mm -hmm. um it's a mess I, i went to the murder scene after his body was removed there's spatter on the walls there you know it's a it's a mess I, I think to me, to me that says more emotion, that kind of a strike. And that emotion would again get back to Carpenter, who my dad told him the night before, apparently, uh, according to witnesses, that, you know, was, they were not going to do this anymore. Carpenter used to visit him in different cities around the country when he did the plays and he was kind of a hang- he became a hanger on after a while and you know, it was no longer fun for my dad my dad told me carpenter's becoming a pain in the ass in plain language um, so maybe seeing the writing on the wall that's an emotion that's like an emotional breakup for mm-hmm. carpenter for patty it's an emotional breakup because they're getting divorced so it would to me, it would be messier if it were a mobster hit or you know maybe even the, even the the boyfriend of a of a woman or something who had a gun. you go in there with a gun, boom, boom, you're done, you walk away. This was a complete mess.
4: You're a young man at the time living with his father, and um, and and so, what was the police take on this?
3: So and well, explore
4: all possibilities, what was their
3: take? But first of all, it happened in the wrong town, unfortunately. Scottsdale is a wonderful place. Beautiful. At the time, in 1978, they averaged two murders a year. So this was like Andy Griffith and Barney Fife. They had no idea. They were weighing over their head. Uh, when I Yeah, I mean, a a lot of things have changed in law enforcement. I I get it. I watch Law and Order. I watch all the shows. I I understand that. At the time, people are uh, going into the crime scene. They're contaminating it. People are touching things. I went there. I went there with my dad's attorney. The the day after. The day of. the, The night of. The murder. Uh, it had happened uh, 12 hours earlier, 15 hours earlier. We came in, and we're walking around the crime scene. I'm touching things. Uh, people were smoking. It was like, what? I didn't think about it at the time, but now, all these years later, and of course it was pre-DNA, uh, so there was no DNA testing. Uh, it, it was just they were way in over their head. So... They immediately went for Carpenter, uh, the Scottsdale Police Department, because he was in town when it happened. Um, they didn't so much go for Patty; they never really, as far as I'm concerned, pursue it. And then there was talk of the, you know, the jealous boyfriends and the. Did your dad owe money to uh, Chicago mobsters? Uh, no, oh. as far as I know.
2: Yeah, that's um, a little cliche.
3: Yeah. And, and, again, that would have been a different, you know, when you mentioned hit. That would have been a hit. That would have been a professional hit, not a sloppy strike somebody in the head, you know. So okay. I guess long, long, long answer short, uh, Scottsdale Police Department was way in over their head.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree starter. with some of that, especially because they were letting people use the phone and, and smoke. Yeah. I've, I've heard all of that. Um, but. Yeah when we when we talk about those two prime suspects okay we understand the ex-wife the divorce the whole thing and the money and you know Uh, but now let's talk about the friendship he had with Carpenter so like in the movie um, that they made years ago as well as some of the other People out there that have commented—they sort of suggest that Carpenter was uh, perhaps gay, and he had a relationship with your father that was not just business. So that—that that seems to be a, a sway, and that could also make more sense if they were ending their partnership or relationship. Can you comment on that? Like, what's what's your, what's your feeling on that?
3: well it, it, again it's just from hearing it's from conversations with my dad um it's from hearing things reading things like like you um what i heard was that john carpenter was bisexual um he did have relationships with women he loved young women he loved teenage women in fact he there was a uh, a charge against carpenter around that time for um uh, being, you know, un- under, underage, uh, deal with a woman, uh, back here in L.A. Um, I think he was in love with my dad. Uh, I think he liked hanging out with these so-called, you know, TV star, uh, or, or any celebrity. He was always drawn to celebrities because that's who he sold the, the, uh, video products to, with celebrities. Uh, so he liked that whole kind of thing, he was in love with that. And he might have been in love with my dad. Now, my dad's point of view, you know, it, again, me, son, just hearing from my dad, I always uh, thought of him as Hogan. I mean, I, I thought he was Mr. All-American. Uh He never seemed to cover up anything with me in that area. But, again, how would I know, you know, ultimately, but I, I never got a sense that the, the love like that was returned by my dad. I think it was more of a one sided thing like they they did portray in the in the movie um willem yeah. Defoe as a matter of fact playing carpenter
2: yeah I, I think it was
3: more yeah. one sided
0: i just i just the only thing I see about that that could all be true is that generally when it is that way, he was still aware of Carpenter's affection toward him. Yes. So th- that in itself is kind of, you know, because they were friends for years, right? It wasn't, this yes. wasn't just a couple of months, this was years. And they had sex with a lot of people and they filmed each other. and th- So they were very involved in this sort of thing. Um, I'm just wondering if, if, if that isn't really kind of the passion behind the... Uh, like uh, he was. Carpenter yeah. was there in Scottsdale.
3: Yes, he was. Yeah. Now there, there was a weird occurrence the day that the whole story broke. And again, this is June of 1978. This is pre-tweeting, facebooking, uh, <laughs> Instagramming, um, cell phones. You know, none of that. So it didn't go out to the news. For a long time, uh, that day, uh, hours, hours. Um, I'm at home at, at the apartment I'm sharing with my dad, with, with my dad in Los Angeles. About three o'clock in the afternoon, I receive a phone call from John Carpenter. And the the thing that was weird about that was that he never he would have no reason to call me. On his return to LA, uh, he said, "Hey, hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm back in LA. Uh, you know, if you need anything, let me know." And, oh, okay, yeah, how'd it go? Yeah, fine, fine. You know, okay. thirty seconds. Hung up with him. I did one of those takes where you look at the phone. You know, like a bad yeah. take in a movie. Where I'm actually looking at the phone, thinking,
2: "Huh? What the what the hell?"
3: Yeah, what was this? He would call me on his way out. He would call sometimes and go, Bobby, I need to pick up the patch cord that goes from the camera to the deck. Your dad needs this, and I'm going to be seeing him in Columbus, Ohio on Thursday. Okay, so he'd come by and get that, but never on the way back. So that was weird. So after I hang up the phone, I figured, I don't know, i got got a weird feeling. I'm, I'm going to call my dad, just check in with him. So this is now 3, 3.30 on that afternoon. My dad has now been dead, they think, about 12 hours. I call his apartment in Scottsdale. A woman answers, hi, uh, who's this? And it's Victoria. Victoria Berry was in the play. There were only four people in the play. She plays this sexy young woman that he's having an affair with in the play that they're doing, Beginner's Luck. She answers the phone. Oh, hey, uh, is my dad around? And she goes, no, he's out right now. I said, okay, well, nothing special. Just can you let him know Bobby called? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, hang up. Well, it turns out, I find out later, she is surrounded by police, detectives, Scottsdale police. They're having her pick up the phone. You know, like, nothing's wrong. Uh, they think he was killed around 3, 3.30 in the morning, and this is now three. 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, then I find out that Carpenter makes other phone calls. He calls the dinner theater in the afternoon looking for my dad. Well, wait a minute. The show doesn't go on until 8 o'clock. So my dad would get to the theater at, you know, knowing my dad, 7.50, you know, uh, not leaving a lot of time. That's mm-hmm. the way he was. So he wouldn't be there at 3.30 in the afternoon. And Carpenter also called out a couple other people in Scottsdale. So, you know, it was kind of like covering his tracks. And I found all all this out later. Uh, So that's strange. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: So how was your relationship with with Patty and and also her son, which would be your stepbrother? My half-brother. Your half-brother. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm how is the relationship because i know that I, I i will say that the um that uh, your half brother um after the death released uh eventually went on uh you know did a website of of, of your father and posted a lot horrible. of his sex videos and pictures and all that stuff and, and yeah horrible would, yeah would make people pay for it you know that was uh yeah crazy yeah. i mean i i, I don't yeah. know how you could do that with about your dad um yeah and charge well, this, this,
3: i'm sorry go ahead
0: yeah yes. i was just going to say so how, how does that affect your relationship with him?
3: well for, first of all that website that was i think it was the late 90s yeah uh 98 99 2000 something like that and somebody told me about it and, uh, of course, that seems like a, an eternity ago, you know, in terms of uh, Internet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was Patty and Scotty had mm-hmm. dug out all these old photos. to Talk about finding photos. <laughs> well, they found all the stuff after, you know, I vacated that apartment. All my dad's stuff was there. Uh, and they found photos and all that. And instead of just kind of... Sucking it in and putting it in a drawer, or burning them, or something like that. They decide they're going to make money off this. So that this is the loving wife that she claims to be, or claimed to be. She's no longer with us. Um, that you would put your husband's private photos like that out on the internet, right? And, then and, and charge dis- money
2: and disparage his character. I mean, how disrespectful is that?
3: Absolutely. You know, and he can't speak for himself. He's long gone. And, yeah, and that really broke open all of his secrets um, to the world, um, which they were nobody's business. Uh, he took photos for himself or for the person he was taking a photo of. They would ask for photos. Um but it wasn't—it wasn't for the the World Wide Web to see. So to answer your question, um, I have no relationship with Scotty. Um, I did have a re- relationship with getting choked up here, hairball. I did have a relationship with Patty early on in my dad and Patty's relationship. Uh, again, trying to make hey, let's all become this happy family and. You know, yes, there are people from the other family and another family and all, you know, let's, and that worked for a couple of years until Patty basically had no room for any other women in her life. So that would include my sisters, uh, my mom, of course, being the ex-wife, uh, my dad's mother, my grandmother, who's still alive at that time. She didn't want any part of that. So the women kind of went first. I survived for a while. Um, you know, we got along. But then in one of their arguments, I, of course, took my dad's side, and I had a conversation with the one, you know, Dad, I, I don't know how you can do this or something like that. So, of course, the next time I'm over at their house, my dad's talking to Patty and says, even Bobby says he doesn't know how I could, you know. And I, she looked at me. And I felt like the floor was opening up, and I was just dropping. You yeah, know, I was done.
0: <laughs> mm. Another no,
3: Hollywood family.
0: Yeah, things are good. Doctor Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice Next up. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a there was another wife in between, wasn't there? Another. No, no,
3: no, no just two wives. And no, my mom right. and Patty. Yeah.
0: So he was... he was That happy. I know of. Yeah, that was... I should say that, yeah.
3: But, yeah. No, no the, I i think it was two.
0: Yeah. The, 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 did, did, he, did Patty know then that he was doing all of these videos and what he was doing with Carpenter and all that?
3: Yes. She did? Yes, she knew. She endorsed it early on. Go ahead. You know, when you're on the road, you have fun. And I'll be here, you know, taking care of the house and blah, blah, blah. And that quickly that quickly uh fell apart you know after a while cuz that's that's not how humans are yeah yeah
0: so let's talk about it. now you you've got a new book out um I t- do. T- tell the listeners about it like what it's, it sounds really interesting
3: well uh, i used to write for magazines and newspapers when they're everybody remember magazines and newspapers <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> um, no i guess, I guess there are
3: still a few out there, but um yeah it, it uh it had a great time. I wrote for the Playboy uh off and on for twenty years and you know other magazines and, and newspapers of the day and uh, I got to interview um uh, I would call them well performers and artists really um, and I've taken the best of the the stuff that I, I did over uh 35, 40 years. I started when I was five years old. Um, Kidding. Um, And then, (laughs) and I put this into a book called Hollywood Plateau, and um, my uh, got a great cover. The Hollywood sign's kind of falling apart, Uh, and uh, Megan uh, Behar, Ricky Behar designed it for me. Uh, I pitched around. No publishers don't care about stuff anymore unless you're. Uh, James Comey, or, or, you know, a political <laughs> thing, or Clinton, or somebody, and they didn't want it, so I threw it out on Amazon, good old Amazon, where it's uh, on Kindle and paperback. And it, but many of the names in the book are still in the news: Ashley Judd and her, you know, the Weinstein thing; Roseanne, who's got the uh, a new hit again; uh, Jimmy Kimmel; SCTV. I've got uh, athletes in there, Oscar De La Hoya, the boxer, um, and artists, actresses, actors, comedians. Jimmy Kimmel, did I mention him? Yes. Um, And and uh, it's just a fun read. It's a great—I call it a great bathroom read. You know, Uh, you can check off a an interview and then um, come back to it later. And it was a lot of fun to go through all the materials. I, I think it's my the best of kind of thing. I went through a lot of stuff and you know narrowed it down to that. But um, it's uh, it was a lot of fun to see it again, and and again a lot of the names are are still still out there.
0: Yeah, I, I, it sounds really interesting. Actually, we, we will have it uh, on our website as well, so people can just, oh uh, fantastic. when they're on, they can just click and, and get it direct. Oh, thanks. And, um, yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. It's been uh, a pleasure. Um, again, we've had uh, Bob Crane on, and he is the son of um, Hogan's Herald's Robert Crane, uh, if everybody knows, um, Colonel Hogan. Thank you for taking the time and and talking about um, some some of the history of your life.
3: Well, thank you. It was great talking to all of you.
2: Thank you. you. To find out more about our show, Uh, guests, uh, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back.
1: This has been a production of Something with Media. Hold up.